Welcome to the Myers-Briggs Company podcast, where we bring together thought leaders, psychologists, and personality experts from around the world to talk about work life, home life, and how to get the best from life. Welcome everyone to the Myers-Briggs Company podcast. Over the last 10 years, we've seen huge changes in organizations, things like more reliance on artificial intelligence, bigger focus on diversity and inclusion, remote and hybrid work and virtual teams. And of course, the pandemic has just accelerated these changes for a new way of working. But as with any change, conflict is inevitable and conflict is what we're going to be talking about today. So with these changes, old ways of doing things haven't been working, um, but we have to figure out a new way. However, the problem here is not everyone agrees on the same way to move forward. The research is clear that effective conflict management is a cornerstone of high-performing organizations. So while conflict management has always been an important competence, today more than ever, it's an imperative for everyone, everyone from executives to managers to frontline workers. And with me today, I'm very excited to have as a guest, Dr. Gail Fan Thomas. She's a co-author with the Myers-Briggs Company and alongside Dr. Ken Thomas and Dr. Ralph Kilman, Gail is working on the soon to be released TKI Conflict Mode Team Report. Over the past 35 years, Gail has taught graduate education in a university setting where she's co-authored more than 60 academic articles and reports. She's a consultant, a coach, and an educator focused on communication, conflict management, and collaboration. Gail's worked with employees at all levels, both in the private and public sectors, and I'm excited that today she's going to suggest some strategies that you might be able to use to improve conflict management wherever you are organizations, within schools, within even teams or groups, nonprofits, government, everywhere. So welcome, Dr. Gail Fan-Thomas. Thanks, Melissa. Lovely to have you. So today we're going to be talking about conflict. And I guess my first question is, when we're talking about conflict, how do you define conflict? Right. That's a great place to start. Um, you know, a lot of people hear the word conflict and they immediately say, you know, we don't want any conflict. And um, that's because they probably don't have a good definition of conflict. So uh, when we talk about conflict, a lot of people I know think about that it means fighting or uh, blaming people or arguing. And while that can be um, a consequence of a conflict, it's not the definition of conflict. So instead, the uh, definition I use is a condition in which people's concerns or things they care about are incompatible. So um, in other words, it might be situations that um, people where they perceive differences, they have differences of opinion, different perspectives, different ideas, and that is just conflicting, right? Create, create some tension. Um, but many times that is really good. It's going to uh, result in some really great outcomes. So um, examples of that might be where we have conflicts around budgets, around timelines, schedules, change implementation. I'm guessing pretty much everyone can relate to those. Uh, we've all been dealing with those. And a couple of really quick examples, just to be more specific. Um, a couple of days ago, I was talking with a colleague. We were at the farmer's market, and she was saying, you know, I've been working with my boss, and we've got a, got a real difference of opinion about um, who should be hired to teach some courses. And so it was basically about some criteria. What criteria are we going to use to either decide to hire or not hire? Or, um, you know, which persons would we hire, perhaps? 
Um, another one that came up was um, I was talking to another colleague. We're doing some research around uh, using focus groups. And there was a difference of opinion on the team about um, what questions should we use for the focus group? Um, who should we be interviewing for the focus group? So almost anything, you know, hopefully you got some really smart people and you got uh, important tasks. You're going to have different ideas. So being able to harvest those is going to be really uh, super important. Next is to think about not just uh, conflict itself, but how it is that we approach conflict. So we often talk about um, five different approaches to conflict. And one of them would be the um, would be avoiding. So I'm sure you've all been in situations where it's like, okay, I just want to push that off or not deal with that. It's not something I want, I want to go there. So that would be what we might would call avoiding. Um, another is um, full-on assertive. So that is the my way or the highway approach. And there can be a lot of reasons why people use that. It could, um, could be that you're the boss, right? And you just basically say, I'm the boss. We're doing it my way. Or it could be um, um, you just think you have a really good idea that is the best idea, so we're going to do it that way. Or it could be that... Um, um, you know, short on time. And so you basically just have to say, hey, I know you might not all agree, but we're doing it this way. So there can be a lot of ways in which um, uh, assertive um, is used. Um, another, the other three all have to do with some ways to cooperate. So um, the first way could be accommodating, which is basically giving in to the other person. So let's say, Melissa, you and I have a difference of opinion. And for whatever reason, maybe just for goodwill purposes, or guess what? You actually have the best idea. I'm going to say, yeah, let's go with uh, Melissa's idea. She's got the idea for today. Um, another one could be compromising. And that choice is basically what we call the split down the middle. So you suggest something, I suggest something, and we basically, you know, sometimes just for uh, time purposes, we say, okay, let's just do part of yours and part of mine. You know, we walk away at the end of the day and we're not super satisfied uh, because we didn't really get all we wanted, but maybe we think, okay, something's better than nothing. The final conflict mode is uh, collaboration, and that's actually the most difficult, I think, because it requires um, a pretty deep skill set. And But the research is really clear on complex tasks that are really important to people, and assuming you have the time to make a good collaborative effort, that that is the most ideal. So uh, we'll talk more about that maybe a little bit later. But it's, uh, and the mode, how that's different than let's say compromise that I just talked about is in collaboration, I'm gonna look at uh, Melissa and what she wants and um, kind of find out the underlying concerns she has and why that's important to her and do the same with me. And then we're gonna kind of look at those and see is there some way that we could, as much as possible, create a win-win where um, we could do what Melissa needs and what I need as close to 100% as possible. So it's really different than the compromise to split down the middle. So that, that one is one you always want to have in your, your toolkit. Um, I, I think my next thing I was going to talk about was um, how the way people approach conflict is actually pretty unconscious and a habit, and they're not even aware that you have all these choices. Mm. Um, people generally aren't aware that they have a preference. You know, they're using one of those five and maybe to the extent of overusing or underusing. Um, and then um, I started to mention a little bit is each one of those actually has a best time and place to use. So even though you may have access to all of those and be using them, it might be that you're using a mode that might not be the best mode at the particular time and place. 
So there's um, actually quite a bit to it. It's not that hard, but if you don't know about it, then uh, makes it difficult. Um, kind of the time and place for those, like avoiding, let me give you some examples, because a lot of people will start out, they'll find out they're really high on avoiding. And uh, for the most case, really high in avoiding is not going to be very good. But um, avoiding in and of itself is not bad. I mean, there are times when things aren't that important, when you don't have time, when tensions are really high, that it is a good time to kind of put something on the back burner and come back to it later. So um, many of the people I work with who may be really high on competing, who just think avoiding is horrible, once we talk about that, they say, mm, maybe I need to learn that one too, because there are times when I know I probably was pushing when I probably should have backed off. So um, time and place on all of those um, are, uh, are really important to understand those two. And so we know, um, again, there's been, you know, 40, 50 years of research around this, really clear that well-managed conflict um, can easily result in better engagement, more productivity, um, uh, increased morale, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but on the other hand, poorly managed conflict, and I'm sure we all can think of situations in which we've been in that conflict was managed well and that was not managed well. And the not managed well, I mean, I do this exercise in class. It is an ugly list. Um, uh, the distrust that's there, um, obviously decreased engagement, decreased information sharing. Um, it gets to the point that uh, people will uh, say, I don't want to be on a team this team anymore because of that. And we actually, at some point, you may get people who leave the organization because of it. So there are dire consequences of not understanding um, the power and consequences of conflict on whether or not it's handled well or, or not handled well. Well, that's so, okay. So just, just so I have it in my head. So the five conflict modes, avoiding, accommodating, collaboration, collaborating, uh -huh. collaborating, compromising, and and what's the my way or the highway? Oh, assertive. Right, it's competing. It's what we call it, but yeah, assertive. Right, C competing. It can be it's high assertive, and the other is it's uncooperative. Right, I don't care what you want. I'm not going to cooperate with you. We're doing it my way. So those are the five. Right, very good. Yeah, interesting. That's it. That's fascinating to have those. Like I again, never thought of conflict as having different different modes that you could use versus just deal with this conflict and get through it. Um, so in, in your bio, it says that you do a lot of coaching and working with organizations around conflict. Um, so what type of conflict do you see the most for people at work? And then um, kind of like, what do you spend time with clients working on? Okay. So um, it's, you said kind of in the intro, I've been doing this for about 20 years and I do individuals, I work with teams, um, I do, like you said, a lot of executive education. And what's interesting is um, I always ask people like, what are the kinds of conflicts you've dealt with in the, say, the past couple of weeks? And I'll get a long list. Um, we just say, what's differences of opinion that you've had with people? And no surprise, if you think about the various levels in the organization, executives are going to talk about strategic issues, right? Mid-level managers are going to probably talk about complex operational issues. And then more frontline workers or their supervisors are going to talk about immediate tasks. They might talk about space, you know, allocation. They might talk about... Um, schedules, you know, things like that, that deal with the day-to-day -day task. And it kind of goes with that idea we know about time frame. So uh, an executive is going to be thinking in a year or more 
kind of time frame. Mid-level managers, maybe six months to a year. And then um, frontline workers are more thinking, you know, the week or the month or whatever. So we, there's timelines for each one of those levels. And of course, the issues are going to kind of be parallel to that. So some specific examples, like if I'm working with executives, it might not be uncommon that they are thinking about adding a new product line or a new um, you know, uh, competency that they want to, uh, for their whole organization, or maybe they're going to diminish something that they've been doing. We, our organization's going through that. And I tell you, it causes a lot of angst <laughs> with a lot of the employees. <laughs> um, it could be that they're going to downsize, you know, that's going to cause a lot of conflict. It could be that, um, there's going to be a reorg. Um, again, we're doing that in our own organization. So that's caused a lot of issues. Um, Mid-level managers may be talking about specific products. They might be talking about timelines, uh, definitely resource allocations. So those things, you know, you are not going to be working at that level. I would say any level, but you're not going to do that and have everybody slap the table and say, oh, yes, there's one way to do this and this is the best way. I mean, I don't know about you. That never happens with the people I work with. And then the last is these uh, frontline workers, right? So um, they may be thinking about the specific work tasks, performance decisions, promotion criteria, so things that might be, uh, you know, for first line or supervisors. And then I have to mention that um, for the past two, two and a half years, I have not done a single session, I don't care what level it is, that they don't bring up COVID, something related to COVID, which really, you know, gets into the remote and hybrid work. So I think we'll probably talk a little bit about that later, but that's definitely something that has come up um, and is, you know, really front and center. And then in addition to the what we talk about, there's always the who we're going to talk about. So people talk about conflict with their bosses. So I recently talked with a young woman um, in an organization who was having a lot of problems uh, uh, working with her boss. And so I've done a lot of coaching around that. Um, others, uh, conflict with their peers, you know, coworkers. And as we do more and more cross-functional work and working across organizations, that just naturally is going to create conflict. There's going to be differences as we have to decide on resources and roles and responsibilities. So that brings that up. Um, working with subordinates, you know, a lot of times I'm talking either supervisors or, you know, very senior people and the kind of conflict that comes up with their um, subordinates. And then, of course, outside constituents. So it could be customers, it could be vendors. Um, working with senior level leaders, they may be working with other senior level leaders and other organizations. And obviously, there's going to be conflict that um, arises there because they're going to have different uh, opinions about how they want to do things. So it's really all over the place, all levels, um, and kind of almost 360. So um, so there's three different types of conflict I talk about, um, the task, interpersonal, and process. And task conflict is that which is really focused on the more substantive uh, issue of the task itself. And there is, uh, research is pretty clear that there is kind of a sweet spot on the kind of uh, or amount of conflict you want to have, not too little not too much, but enough to be able to surface differences and then work through those in a positive way to be able to get them to a better outcome. So there are many ways in which um, really um, actually pushing sometimes to get people's ideas and things. It's going to be important. But the interpersonal and process conflict, so interpersonal, I think I mentioned, is kind of personality issues and process has to do with the how, when, where we're going to do something. Those two generally do not yield uh, more effectiveness on a team or in an inter, uh, you know two-way kind of conflict. Uh, 
So what we want to try to do as much as possible is minimize interpersonal conflict and um, process conflict, and then try to hit that sweet spot on task conflict. And actually, even within the timeline of the uh, project, there can be better times, right, to be able to surface those differences. So that's the what we call conflict management. So, and there are some really clear strategies and uh, ways to approach um, making uh, either increasing task conflict or minimizing interpersonal and process conflict. So, just kind of wrapping up here, um, what's important is from all the things I've been talking with people about is having some kind of common framework and kind of what you mentioned, Melissa, is like, wow, I never thought about it that way. Um, that we actually have a model around assertiveness and cooperativeness, and there's five different ways. And oh, by mm -hmm. the way, it's a choice. I could actually do it differently. Um, the second is what's really cool is when I tr uh, do these in teams or whatever, we're building a common language. So now it means we can actually talk about this. Like we know what those different approaches are. We know what happens when there's overuse or underuse. And so now we actually have a language that we can talk about it. Um, one is then doing some kind of assessment. So everyone kind of knows where their Achilles heels are on certain things and with each other and be able to uh, work around those. And then there are um, a lot of strategies and tools for dealing with conflict. So those are the things I kind of touch uh, on with, uh, with people with whom I work. It makes me think too, when you say the common language thing, that even just being able to tell someone like, oh, generally, like someone you're having some sort of conflict with, like I think of some of my coworkers and saying, oh, generally my conflict style is collaborative so more than likely, I'll try and do this. But even know that I guess that's a self-awareness part, knowing that I do that and being able to explain it in a way that's not saying, oh, this this is right or wrong. This is just how, given everything I know about my interpersonal style, how I approach it. I feel like that'd be incredibly helpful. So uh, it might be... Uh... I don't, I haven't seen your particular profile, right? If you were to do an assessment, but it's possible, even though collaborating is great, you could be on the actual overuse of collaborating. Mm -hmm. And how I know that is because I am that person. <sighs> and um, it tends to be my go-to all the time, but in a lot of times it, it's not the right mm -hmm. thing. And so I have to kind of catch myself when I might be pushing it when it's actually not the right time and place mm -hmm. for it. So that's something, even though even though collaboration, I would say, is should be in everybody's toolkit, doesn't mean you want to be using it all the time either. I like the toolkit idea too. This is, I feel like all, all the podcast episodes, it's just finding more tools for people to use and work together better. Um, so you had mentioned earlier that COVID and the pandemic has come up in a lot of the sessions that you've been doing lately and a lot of the coaching calls. Um so when it comes to COVID and, you know, a lot of people who are working remotely, who maybe weren't working remotely or hybrid before and how people are interacting, is there any difference now kind of during slash post COVID compared to what you were seeing before? Yeah. So what's really interesting, um, and it's not like everything that was happening in the beginning days of COVID has totally gone away because we keep seeing these waves, Right. So there's always variations on the theme of that. But um, what I found really interesting, and again, my own experience, and I'm sure probably everybody who's listening, similar kind of thing, is um, when this started to happen, uh, 
you know, safety procedures had to be put in place. Um, so which procedures, like, did we have to wear masks? How are we going to distance from each other? Were there going to be X's on the floor? Was there going to be the fle- uh, plexiglass kind of things? And um, different industries were doing different things. Even within like our school, it was um, people didn't agree on all of that. Um, another one was um, where were the resources going to come to pay for all this because it was going to be costly. So who was going to pay for that? What, whose budget was going to be hit for this? Um, who would be responsible for executing and monitoring? So you can come up with all these rules, but who's going to make sure they're actually being done and that you're following all the, for us, we had to wipe down seats. Well, who's going to wipe down the seats? Whose job is that going to be? And how do we make sure it's actually been done? Um, who was going to be allowed to telework? Um, in, in our case, you know, most people were. There were a few people who didn't. And then what kind of telework was going to be put in process? There are telework policies. Um, so all of, all of those things had to be uh, negotiated because, and, you know, especially the early days, and I would say it's still that way, but there was a lot of stress and a lot of emotion that was happening and all these decisions having to be made. So there was conflict all over the place on this. Um, for us, and I know this is true probably of some other places, our university, we just so happened that the COVID kind of coincided with our two-week break. We're on quarters. And so we were given about two weeks to get everything 100% online. Now, for some of us, we'd already been teaching online, so it wasn't that big a deal. But for many people across campus, they had never taught virtually, and they basically said this can't be done. But um, we had a senior leader or president who said, you will do it. We are going to do this. So people had two weeks to get all of their materials and figure out how to use uh, Zoom we were using at the time, et cetera, et cetera. And I can tell you, it was a very stressful time. (laughs) And then um, what I was hearing from other organizations that I thought was really interesting, because I'm still working, right? And I'm dealing with uh, teams all over the world. We're doing things. And so what would come up uh, almost every session we would do are the leaders who were now having to lead teams either remotely or hybrid kind of teams. And um, pretty much I would say 95% of them had never done that before or done it very little and didn't know how to, how to handle that. And so that was extremely stressful for them. How am I going to do this? So things that came up there, if you remember, particularly the early days, right, is you had uh, maybe a husband and a wife or a partner or whatever it is, and maybe a kid or five kids or whatever that have all been sent home to work or go to school. And you got to figure out how you're going to turn your house into an office place. So some people camped out in the kitchen, some people camped out in the dining room or in their bedrooms. So you're negotiating the space as well as you're all living there. So um, that was an issue for some people and caused a lot of stress for some people. Um, As we know, there were um, people who had contracted COVID um, or family members. And, you know, when the death rate was much higher, obviously that was a huge amount of stress that was on top of everything else that was going on. And what I noticed is a wide range. I mean, I dealt with some people who were almost paralyzed by the amount of stress that this um, had caused them, you know, personally was so difficult. 
And then I, on the opposite, I had people who said, I've never been more productive in my whole life. So their productivity skyrocketed, maybe because they didn't have to commute anymore. Or, you know, I don't really care about chit chat at work and people stopping by my office. I don't have to do that anymore. So, and then of course, everything in between. So um, um, I noticed that and, you know, almost everybody I talked with that was going on. And then when we, uh, then we're talking about that, right? Not just the, how we're going to deal with COVID. Then it was for remote and hybrid teams or what are going to be the expectations for workload, right? Are we going to have to do less work because now, um, and, and we might not have the right equipment to do our work. So are there going to be some changes that will happen as a result of that? Our timeline's going to be shifted. Um, how often, this one came up a lot. How often do we have to meet, right? So do we, are we going to have these Zoom meetings, right? And, um, and then now that we have some people hybrid, like how many times do you have to go into the office and do you have to have face-to-face meetings or do you have to have, can you do online or is there some accommodation to do both? So um, that I know is still a major issue in organizations. Um, how are you going to organize the meetings now? If you predominantly had face-to-face meetings and now you've got this, you have to change the way you meet. You can't just do it the same old way you did face-to-face. You have to change it up a little bit. Um, we had uh, a lot of consternation about what platform. Uh, first, we had Zoom, then we had Teams, and some people didn't like using Teams, so uh, there was, uh, you know, a lot of conflict around that. Um, another one that was interesting in my place—I don't know if it happens others—is cameras. So, as an instructor or coach, I want to have your camera on. I want to see you. And I want to, you know, can I read the nonverbals, right? That I might, you know, not as good as face to face, but maybe. Well, we were working with people in classified spaces and they didn't even have cameras on their computers. They're not allowed to have uh, cameras on their computers. So there was that. So, you know, no cameras for them. And then the other, which I found, that I found fascinating. I haven't seen any research like this, but I would notice that in different uh, commands, you know, uh, do work for the Navy and um, different commands, there would almost be like a culture in which the members, not because of, of um, it being classified, but it's just they didn't want to have cameras in their personal home space. And I would find it would be several people who would say, um, I'm not comfortable with that. So there was actually even, you know, within different organizations, they would have kind of already, you know, come up with kind of some norms, you know, in which they would say, we don't do cameras on here. My... Uh, partner is an engineer. And I've asked him, I said, well, you guys all have your cameras off the entire time. And he goes, oh, we're all engineers. We just said that it's it takes up too much bandwidth for everyone to have their camera on. We don't need it. <laughs> yeah. So they'll have an excuse, right, of why they don't want it. Yeah, exactly. What is your approach to conflict? Are you competitive, accommodating, avoiding? People approach conflict differently. To resolve conflict at work, you need to know about conflict styles. The TKI shows you five approaches to conflict and how to move conflict to a more productive place. See the MyersBriggs.com forward slash TKI for a fast conflict solution. Okay, so um, so anyway, uh, all the things I've kind of talked about because of hybrid uh, and remote uh, work that we're doing now, and that is not going to go away, right? As we've been reading in the papers and things that uh, particularly, well, I think just a lot of people, they they want to stay remote. So that's going to be an issue. Um, but what I think is interesting, it's almost like 
everything had to be renegotiated. Um, and of course, no one is going to, you know, many people are not going to agree on exactly what that is. And so it brought up all of this conflict in ways that we had really considered routine and things we didn't even question that now are on the table, in addition to all the other things that were going on. So I think for that reason, there's been a lot of stress uh, in the workplace for people because dealing with all these issues. It sounds like, too, that the renegotiation that maybe previously didn't have to happen because there was a lot, uh, as far as job security, like there weren't as many open positions. People didn't feel like they could leave maybe as easily and find something else remote. But now it feels like a lot of the employers are having to do a lot more on that renegotiation front and, and maybe address some of this conflict where before they could have said, well, if you don't like it, you can leave. Right. Exactly. Hopefully good employers are not just saying that, but (laughs) we know occasionally it happens. Uh, So when it comes to uh, the trends around conflict management, aside from the the renegotiation and the hybrid worker, are there any other trends that you've noticed? Yeah. So as we know, I mean, you kind of introduced me that way is that with artificial intelligence, technology changing, you know, this COVID thing kind of just accelerated the change. So the workplace is changing significantly from, you know, 10, 20 years ago. And so obviously that brings up a lot of other issues too because of those changes. So um, I was thinking about a few of the things that I frequently see. And one that is always on the top of the list is multi-generational teams. Mm -hmm. So it is not uncommon in an organization now to have three or four generations um, in teams. And so, and definitely in an organization, right? And so that's going to bring up areas of conflict. One you just kind of mentioned, right, is people who are deciding whether or not they want to stay at a place. Um, and so they may, may make choices to leave, right, if they don't get enough work flexibility. So that's always an issue. And um, I actually have a reading or something I give people because that, that comes up so much. Um, another one that I've seen recently, and I'm not sure it really has anything to do with what's going on, but just I've noticed is younger employees who are being promoted and are supervising older employees, people who've been around longer or who are older than they are. And so they're very concerned about that and the type of conflict that might arise because of that. So I've seen several of those lately. And then the one I was going to mention is exactly what you just mentioned is senior employees having em- or employers, right, having employees now coming and saying, hey, I don't want to live in, I have friends, right, I don't want to live in New York anymore. I want to live wherever I want to live. And if uh, you can't accommodate that, I just got three offers as marketing director in three other organizations. So uh, what are you going to do about it, right? So I know several examples of, uh, you know, probably uh, my friends' um, children who are like in their mid, late 30s, um, who are in these situations where they can kind of uh, call their uh, price now on flexibility and that type of thing. Um, another one that I have been working on a lot lately is intercultural and cross-cultural teams. So I do a lot of work in other countries. And so um, what is really fascinating about that is it adds another level of complexity around um, uh, cultural differences that we have on how we handle Uh, conflict. So, you know, how we handle face, right? Like if we are more or less willing to um, save face for people, different cultures um, are different around that. So it has implications on how you handle conflict. So that's extremely fascinating, um, the work I do around that. 
And then I think the last one I'll mention is the fluidity of teams. So probably, you know, 10, 20 years ago, it was kind of assumed that teams were more stable. You stayed on a particular team and you did it for a long time with the same people. Um, that again, the research shows, and I can tell from my personal experience, um, in my university, I was counting up, I was probably on about 12 teams simultaneously or groups. Um, some of them were short-term kinds of things. Some of them were long-term kinds of things. Some of them were more homogeneous, like my management group. Um, you know, we've been together for a long time and we all teach management, um, or I'd be on committees that would be cross-disciplinary. So I'd be working with engineers or people from national security affairs. So it would be a, a broad uh, difference, but that might only last a task that would be three or four months or something. And then I had multiple research teams that were all going simultaneously. And each of those had different members, some of them overlapping, but some not. Um, so the research really shows that people are moving in and out of teams um, at a much more rapid rate than they did in the past. So I think the implications for that, you know, the way I read it is, you know, you really need to have these conflict management skills, whether you're a member of a team or a leader of a team, because this is going to be really dynamic. And a lot of those changes are going to create more conflict. And how do you manage it, given all of this uh, dynamism in it? And you still have things that are going to be due and you still have quality uh, concerns. And so dealing with conflict, I just, I, you know, I know I'm biased, but it seems to me it's going to be one of the very most important things uh, for the future of work. Um, and then I want to talk a little bit about this idea about collaboration. I keep bringing that up um, and how mm -hmm. important that is. Um, another way to think about it is problem solving, being able to do problem solving with one or more people. And um, it's basically how do we work together, um, um, harnessing different ideas um, all towards a common goal. So that's kind of the, uh, the essence of it. And it's really, like I said before, being able to surface disagreements um, in a positive way to make our outcome even better than it could have been. And so, and then uh, another piece of that is being creative and finding this idea I said earlier, integrative solutions. So it's not either or, but it's the and, right? We don't want to just do your idea or my idea or some half and half, but how can we um, be more encompassing? And I'll tell you, I do a lot of international work where we're working with stakeholders where there may be, you know, 20, 30, 40 people with different levels and different agencies all at the table, and they all bring um, very different concerns to the table. Mm -hmm. And so it takes a lot of creativity to try to figure out how do we accommodate as much as possible so that we can reach an integrative solution that's going to work for it. Because if it doesn't work, I mean, we can all slap the table and say, fine, and then walk away and we keep going back doing what we were doing, right? So if you want buy-in and you want people really to be able to participate, then um, that's really going to help the implementation process as we go earlier. I have examples from the, um, the military that I've been in where senior people made policy decisions. And, you know, it's happened more than once that they didn't include people who were actually going to have to implement these. And so when it got rolled out, you had people who just looked at it and said, this isn't even possible what you've asked us to do, or it doesn't make any sense. And then when it gets fed back to the policymakers, they go, oh yeah, you know, we didn't think about that. 
So not including, you know, more people and understanding that before a decision gets made is really going to be detrimental to the implementation of any kind of policy or change issue. Um, and so, you know, what I said earlier, like the collaboration thing is not intuitive for most people. That's something that is learned. Uh, maybe you, I don't know, Melissa, how you learned it. Maybe um, it could be from your family. It could be you had a role model um, that you've seen. Oh, it was team sports. Team sports. Oh, there you go. Right. Yeah, that's, I've that's played team one. sports almost all my life. And I think that's that's been one of the biggest ones because it's almost, not that you have to, but you can't avoid. And most of the time you you can compete, but ideally it doesn't, you know, it doesn't end up the best way right. if you're competing internally with your team. So I feel like right. for exactly. me, that's been a big yeah. teacher. Good point. Yeah, that's that's a great example. So what I find is uh, collaboration is usually underdeveloped in people. Uh, when I do these assessments, I find that the majority of people are either um, really high on avoiding, accommodating, compromising. Um, there's some people who are competing, and then the fewest number of people really have well-developed collaboration skills. So that's, um, and that's, you know, with thousands of people I've worked with. Um, and then uh, part of the reason I think it's underdeveloped is because all the skills that it's required. And I've mentioned a little bit before, but one is a self-awareness about, you know, what does that mean to be collaborative? And am I using another approach more often? Um, it really requires the ability to listen deeply. So I have to shut off my what I think is important and actually listen to the other people in the room and, and really take in deeply what's important to them, understand that, um, identify each other's concerns, and usually you have to have a structure and a process to make that happen. Um, speaking up, one, that's one I really like because the communication, there's been a lot of really good research lately about um, people not speaking up, and there can be a lot of reasons why people don't speak up. And so um, either learning how, I do a lot of coaching with helping people speak up or uh, coaching with senior leaders who are created some kind of an atmosphere that people don't want to speak up because maybe they're so strong competing or they've got such strong ideas, no one's going to bother. So it can be a lot of reasons for that. So that's important. Um, working through those differences in a positive manner. Um, their skill sets to do that. Um, knowing when the emotions get really high because they will, there's, a, again, some really good research out there around the connection between emotions and the cognitive piece of conflict. And so emotions often will get really high. So having the skill set to recognize that and to be able to calm the waters, if you will, when that happens, so that it doesn't cause um, a lot of dysfunction and maybe long-term consequences for not dealing with that well. And then uh, last is developing structures to minimize that process conflict. So um, that's kind of a short list, but those are all things that we teach in the leadership classes that we do to help people get better at that, uh, at collaboration. So in summary, um, I hope I've made the point now how ubiquitous conflict is. I mean, it's all levels and all organizations. I have, I've worked in thousands of organizations and I've never worked in one that there is uh, no conflict, right? That's not possible if you just talk about differences. And I would argue that in today's world, it is even more obvious um, because of budget concerns or like I said, working across organizations, you know, that all is um, issues. And so it's really something that um, we need to harness. We know that it can um, increase effectiveness at the individual, at the team, and the organizational level. 
And so I can't imagine an organization who wants to do really well not thinking that this is important and something they want to develop uh, in their employees. So what tools do you use for conflict when you're working with clients or organizations? So uh, probably, you know, front and center is using the TKI, which is the Thomas Kilman Conflict Mode Instrument. Um, that's the assessment tool that I use. And uh, people seem, I'm probably biased, but people seem to love it. It doesn't take very long to complete it. People quickly learn this uh, framework that I just have been kind of talking about. And they learn which of those five modes are they have the stronger preference for and which ones they might be overusing or underusing. So that has worked really well for, uh, like I said, the basic framework for some self-awareness. And then um, there's a lot of information in there about um, challenges and remedies for each one of the modes. So it's a really quick way for people to really turn their whole head around around the conflict thing. And then, uh, as you mentioned, there's a new TKI report. I've been doing it manually, um, but we've been using it so much with teams. We've developed a new report that will probably be coming out in the fall. And so that's a, a tool I've been using. And um, what I find is kind of what you mentioned earlier is that the um, people don't usually um, have a way of thinking or talking about conflict. It sometimes is this simple, let's just not do it. But mm -hmm. I hope that as we've talked today, you can see it's like, that is so valuable. He's like, we don't want to just miss this, right? There's too much here to harvest. And so actually realizing how valuable it can be um, is extremely important for people. And then knowing really what the value of healthy conflict is and that you actually can create it in your organizations. Um, other tools I use, um, sometimes for executive coaching, we might use a combination of like an MBTI, an EQI, and a TKI. And there's really nice ways that you can see kind of a bigger picture of how people might be, um, what their conflict style is, and then how their scores come out for the EQI and for the MBTI. So that is um, really eye-opening for people. Um, it helps them better understand um, their own preferences and the ways uh, that they deal with others. And then, of course, helps them. All of those instruments have ways to, what's an action plan you have for improving. So, but it's fun to do the combinations of them. Oh, I find that really fascinating. Um, the other thing that's kind of interesting um, about the tools is that oftentimes what I'll find, uh, we mostly talk about workplace conflict, but mm -hmm. when I do one-on-one -on -one coaching, I would guess almost always conflict in the home comes up. And yeah. so I was actually coaching a woman the other day and she was having a lot of trouble with her boss and she realized she had a really high competing style. And at, once we talked about that, she goes, okay, I can see like my, why we might be having trouble. And then she said, you know, as a matter of fact, I do the same thing at home and I have some issues with my husband and my children. And I'm starting to see that maybe the way I'm doing things isn't the best way. So many times they'll see um, a parallel between what's happening at work and what's happening at home. And it, you don't necessarily use the same approach at home as you do at work, but uh, mm -hmm. sometimes you do. it actually helps in those situations too. And then if I'm working with um, senior leaders, not only will I work like coaching and helping them on whatever they're doing, or maybe I uh, work with boards or executive teams, uh, work on conflict that way. But they often have the capacity to be able to manage the um, 
or at least influence the climate and the culture in their organization. So for them, I kind of think, what is it that's going on in your organization that might, you know, be having more people using a particular mode? So let me give you a good example. I was working with a um, organization that does worldwide uh, projects, um, infrastructure projects in other countries. And um, we did this session and they all took the instrument and they pretty much all came out, um, what I said earlier, avoiding, accommodating, compromising. And the more hmm. we talked about it, they said, you know, the mission of our organization is to facilitate multiple agencies around these infrastructure projects. And just by thinking about what our role and responsibility is and the mission of our organization, why aren't we using collaboration more? And as we talked about that, they said, you know, the senior leaders in our organization never talk about this. There's never been a discussion around this. We don't do any skill building around it. And so they kind of started to kind of unravel, like, why is it that we mostly tend to be uh, use modes that might not be the best mode for the work that we're doing. So it was a mm-hmm. huge aha for the whole organization. So that um, started them thinking about, you know, doing some training uh, organizational wide, um, thinking about in their teams as they developed and went to other nations, how they could um, better use those collaboration skills. So it made a huge difference uh, for that organization. So senior leaders are going to be the ones who maybe recognize that and do something organizational wide. So tools and strategies for the three types of conflict. I kind of wanted to cover that uh, quickly to Mm -hmm. give some people some ideas about that. So task conflict, obviously, there are all kinds of ways that you can get people to share ideas. Like I mentioned before, you could maybe give people a list and have them uh, bring things to the meeting. Um, Maybe you figure out some way that people put, we do all kinds of ways, put things on post-it notes so that they're anonymous and then people don't feel um, as self-conscious about their ideas. There are many, many different ways you can do that. Um, Interpersonal, trying to figure out standards for interaction. So, um, you know, for a new team, figuring out what are the standards we want to have for how we're going to interact with each other. And a lot of people, what they do, you know, the team creates them themselves and then puts them on a poster. And then eventually they may type them up and that's something they kind of live by. Um, We've worked with uh, executive teams that are pretty much dysfunctional. So we'll often start out, the first session will be, um, how is it you want to interact with each other? So you get things like, um, you know, with respect or making sure people aren't speaking over each other and hearing people's ideas without interrupting. So um, those also get written up. And then my uh, colleague and I will give them feedback when that uh, seems not to be happening and then teach them how to give feedback to each other to kind of keep those as the standards of the way we're going to interact with each other. And then um, there's an article I really like a lot on interpersonal conflict that I think is really um, uh, uh, helpful. And it's uh, called uh, Too Hot to Handle. And it's Amy Edmondson and a colleague of hers. And they talk about ways that you can uh, manage yourself, manage conversations, and manage relationships with a lot of good ideas around that. So that's that's a whole session in and of itself. But those are great for dealing with interpersonal issues. And then last is process issues. So a lot of that, um, you want to do it throughout the project, but a lot of times just kind of setting up, um, talking about deadlines, setting expectations, um, looking at schedules and getting people's input around that. Um, doing, uh, we teach people to do process checks throughout 
um, their teamwork. And so that kind of helps people sometimes say, hey, stop, we need to, you know, rethink this uh, on our process. And then, um, you know, many other ways that you can structure um, so that you really minimize uh, process conflict. So a lot of people, it's just that people haven't thought about it and thought about ways to uh, mitigate those problems. And then the ancillary skills, there's a number of skills, just, you know, I could talk all day about those, but I'll just talk about one that I touched on briefly a minute ago is feedback skills. So those are critically important. And again, it's another skill that people aren't necessarily very good at it, either giving or receiving feedback. So my um, colleague and I do a lot of teaching around giving and receiving feedback. And what that allows people to do then, especially around conflict management, is if we're going to have, we need to be able to talk about it. So how are we doing? How could we improve? And when we need to give each other feedback around that, we do it in a very productive way. Um, and even to the point of you should have people seeking feedback because um, a lot of times we kind of, you know, try to avoid feedback if we have to. So uh, if you can get to a place where we're actually seeking feedback. And then um, we find that that type of giving and receiving feedback, if done well, can make a huge difference on positive conflict management. So that's another kind of just an ancillary skill that's important to uh, conflict management. Um, so that that story you shared previously about the managers and them as asking how they could collaborate better. That was really interesting to me, um, especially because I don't think until this point I had thought about how conflict can affect or conflict style can, can really be ingrained in company cultures. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So on that note, when it comes to like for managers and leaders specifically in organizations, do you have any practical tips for um, managers and leaders who are dealing with maybe conflict within teams, or maybe it's kind of like you described earlier, maybe it's a project team where they're only together for a couple months and then they're going to split up. What, what practical things can, can we give the listeners for uh, managers and leaders dealing with conflict? Right. So I think uh, for managers and leaders, whether it's middle managers or maybe even senior managers, right, is this this whole thing I keep talking about today is knowing the value of good conflict management. Um, it's huge to really appreciate the value. And then what are we going to do about it? Um, and so one way to think about that is in our organization or within the teams I'm responsible for, the departments, you know, is there a way of thinking and talking about conflict? Is that, you know, part of the conversation that people are having? So that's one way to kind of do a quick assessment, whether it's um, at the individual level, at the team level, or at the organizational level to increase performance. Um, you could kind of look at what are our, our teams or our organization's strengths around conflict management and where seems like are some weaknesses that we have where we could improve. Um, what kind of collaboration skills do people have at all level? Because like the example I kind of gave earlier, right? Um, is it kind of that culture that you don't really see much collaboration and what's the cost of that? And so um, how might we think from a larger departmental or um, even larger organization level, how could we increase the skill set around that? Um, are people aware of kind of challenges and remedies they have with dealing with conflict? So one is this whole idea, again, is like if a middle manager is not aware of the way they are approaching conflict and the consequences of that, there may be all kinds of things going on within that team that they actually are creating some of that. 
and kind of appreciating what that means and maybe them changing some ways of doing that. Another way is kind of, um, you know, there are some kind of predictable challenges. So a lot of the people I work with, they only have the win-lose or what we call distributive way of thinking in their head. And so for them, it's always someone's going to win and someone's going to lose or there's going to be this half and half. Hmm. There's not this um, way of thinking that we could all have most of all of it. It's not true on everything. You know, that, that's true. But on many, many things, you can um, really address most people's interest. And some people just don't even have that as a mindset. So that's important to have uh, leaders and um, senior leaders actually appreciate that. It's huge. Um, and, you know, and realizing that middle managers sometimes don't get that number one, like I said earlier, they're not going to get full engagement. They're not going to get everybody's ideas. And if it's bad enough, people will actually leave the organization. Mm. So that's not what you want. So um, that's important for managers to kind of do it themselves and be looking around and seeing how's it working in other parts of their uh, organization. As an individual contributor at a company, what would be your advice to people who are caught in a conflict but might not be at that manager or leader level? I'm going to give five things that I think are really important things, kind of narrow it down a little mm -hmm. bit. So one, I'm going to just keep repeating that uh, conflict can be good. So don't have in your mind that conflict is all bad and anything you can do to avoid it because that is not the way to, to approach it. So knowing that... Um, um, is really important. And then uh, the second one is having some self-awareness. So we're going to recommend that you use some instrument. Um, you know, we think TKI is a good one um, to be able to know what your preferences are and maybe the preferences of people on your team. Um, you know, I'll mention real quickly too. Um, recently, I had someone in my class, the one I was saying who was having trouble with a boss. And she took the instrument. And of course, it's a really nice entree to go home and go to the boss and say, hey, I took this class and I took this instrument on conflict. Mm -hmm. And guess what I found out? And she shared this with her boss. And then she also shared you know, some of the things that she learned. And it was a fabulous conversation that they had that number one, she was kind of the, what I call leading up in some way. She was able to teach her boss something about conflict management. They were able to figure out, um, you know, what the boss's style was and what uh, the uh, employee's style was and then have conversations on how they could better work together. So th that's some added benefits from having that tool is it actually can allow you to go home and have conversations with the team or with a boss or coworker. And then um, the other is to think about, like I said, the other person, like what do you think um, is their particular approach? And how might those two approaches be detrimental to decision making in your organization? So that's uh, kind of important and maybe have these conversations. And then the fourth one is assessing the situation. So as I mentioned earlier, you know, what are kind of the attributes of the situation you're in? Is it an important issue? Is it not very important? How much time do you have? How much stress is there within the group? So all of those answering those questions are going to tell you what might be the best mode for this particular time. Um, so uh, appreciating that. And then last is, you know, my mantra is always keep working on those collaborative skills. Um, those are always going to come in good use for you. And it's something I don't care. You know, a lot of these leadership things, you, it's not a one and done. You don't like learn it, let's say, at the entry level and say that that's going to take you through the rest of your career. 
Um, you know, as we get more and more senior in organizations, the issues become more gray, it's less black and white. And so the conflict is different and the number of maybe constituents you have to deal with. So it gets um, in some ways more difficult, not easier. So it's something you do have to keep working on um, throughout your career. And um, kind of last kind of wrapping things up, I think is um, I, I hope people see at least I really think is conflict management is a performance multiplier. Hmm. Um, if you kind of understand these principles, um, you know, are self-aware, working with other people, either at the team level or larger, it can make a gigantic difference in the performance in your organization. So, um, you know, can really increase engagement, all the things that, you know, that we want in an organization. So I'm hoping that some people learn some things today. Um, that it sparks some interest in people and maybe they have uh, further questions or things they want to explore around this topic. Thank you so much, uh, Gail, Dr. Thomas, for joining us. It was fantastic. We love to hear everything that you had to say about conflict. And we are eagerly awaiting the new TKI conflict team report. So thank you. Thanks for listening to the Myers-Briggs Company podcast. If you like what you heard today, please share it with others, post on social media, or leave a rating or review. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.